Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast with me, your host, Frank Flegg. So I've been doing quite a lot of work recently about the different elements of a successful property investment business. And it's really interesting because having sat down and thought about it quite a lot for probably a few weeks now, I've boiled it down to the four main areas that I'm sure we've spoken about previously on the podcast, which is in a nutshell, planning, knowing where and what you're gonna buy and how you're gonna monetize it and what it's gonna make you and what it's gonna cost you to buy it, et cetera. The finding of that then, so finding those properties in that part of the country that meet your criteria, and then the buying of those properties, which of course involves the cash flow of it. So being able to raise the finance involves the conveyancing, having conveyances that know how to do the paperwork that you need them to do, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got planning, finding, buying, and then monetizing those properties, which the monetization is probably the easiest part, the simplest part of those three, of the four rather, but probably also the most important because without the monetization, all you've got is a liability that costing you money or wasting you money. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about that and I'm gonna use an example of those four pillars, if you want to call them that, of your property investment business to illustrate how I'm approaching a new client. So I started working with a client about two to three weeks ago, very successful property investor, large portfolio, healthy, positive cash flow, just looking at their tax position, looking at their long-term plans, retirement plans, current levels of leverage, current opportunities, current threats, etc. In doing so, we recognize that there's a potential for a joint venture. We didn't start working together thinking there was a joint venture. We started working together just to help this investor to improve what is by all standards, a very successful property investment business. And it turns out that actually there is a possibility for a joint venture. And we, we've spoken actually about two or three different possibilities, but I'm going to focus in on one of them today. This particular investor is very keen on holiday lets, quite a specific type of holiday let and very experienced at, at those. Now I'm less experienced at holiday lets. I've got I've had a few actually over the years, but my ex-wife enjoys managing them. And as part of our divorce, we agreed that she would end up with the holiday let because A, it gave her good cash flow, but also she's the one that's been managing them. She enjoys managing them, etc. Straight away, it fits into my buying criteria. So it fits into my plan. So if you think about the planning aspect and you might be thinking, yeah, but this is a joint venture, Frank. This is different to, you know, building a sophisticated portfolio, but it's not. It's exactly the same. I buy more properties actually in joint venture than I do solely on my own. And so if I'm going to do a joint venture in property, it has to fit in with my plan. It has to fit in with my plan. Now, my plan is actually to diversify myself across the country. Wouldn't have done this 10 years ago, but with the size of my portfolio now, it makes sense to diversify across the country to invest in a manner that either 
has huge discounts up front or huge discounts when we buy. So if it's a control now, pay later, then the discount is going to build over time. But basically a below market value model, either now or in the future. So we've spoken about that before, BMV or control now, pay later. Multiple areas of the country, multiple joint venture partners as well, actually worth mentioning, but also different monetization strategies and different types of properties. And it just so happens that the type of holiday lets that this particular investor is experienced in and interested in, I don't have any experience in and don't own any of. And so it would be a big tick, if you like, for my plan. It would fit really neatly into my plan to have some of these properties. And it's really important when going into a JV to know what you want, because on the other, I think we've looked at two or three other types of forms of JV together because there is definitely the desire to work together. We both are successful in different areas of property and what we're thinking is can we be more successful if we joint venture together on something and on each of the other JVs so we looked at potentially franchising this client's business with you know me bringing the franchising experience and this client you know us using his business and that didn't really fly. I don't think there's a massive desire or excitement about that for either of us. We've looked at a couple of other ways of doing it and and couldn't really see a a, a win-win of us working together. But this, and we haven't formalized it yet, it's still at the stage where I think we've had two conversations now, but actually (laughs) probably in the next conversation will be, and and you might think, well, that's really tentative, Frank, and it absolutely is. This, This may not come off as a JV. But I'm sharing it now because the learnings are all still there. But also the next meeting will either be, let's knock it on the head. One of us doesn't like the look of it or one of us doesn't think there's enough value in it. Or actually, we think this is a real win-win. Let's get heads to turn signed. So it really is that quick. And to give you a bit of the chronology, I think we sat down around two weeks ago. Had quite a long week meeting, quite a few hour meeting. And this was one of the probably 12 topics we talked about. Since then, we've exchanged a voice note, probably a five minute voice note on WhatsApp and a couple of messages. And that's it. We're, we're, we're both currently thinking about it. And I think the next time we meet, we'll be signing heads of terms or we'll have already agreed, actually, we're not going to press forward with that. So from my perspective, and it's really important to look at it from both parties' perspectives, but from my perspective, this joint venture works for me. So the first thing I've thought of is, do I want to do business with this person? So is there a value fit? Do we hold similar beliefs? Do we treat people in the same way? Do we enjoy working together? Is it hard work? It absolutely isn't. I really like the guy. How do I feel about it at a gut level in terms of how aligned we are? And I feel at a really deep level that we're very well aligned. Uh, We've talked about our approaches to leverage, our approaches to legacy and donating to charity, etc. And yeah, you never know for sure. Every bone in my body says that we're a good fit. So that's the first thing. And if I don't feel good about someone, doesn't matter how good the rest of it looks I won't do it and I've done it before where I've gone do you know what it doesn't feel right but you know logically this is a good deal 
for both of us. So let's crack on. That has never worked out for me. <laughs> Logic cannot trump what Ryan Pennick would call your super genius. And what he means by that is your instinct, your gut feeling, your intuition. And so for me, I feel really good about going into this joint venture. That's the first really important tick box for me, checklist if you like, or line on the checklist. Second is how well does it fit into my plan? Well, very well. It's different parts of the country. So this JV will be all over the country. But my JV partner or my prospective JV partner has team that can manage them. So that's good. And systems, most importantly. So I'll get good leverage from those. There'll be different types of properties to the ones I own already. Almost all of them will be very different. So that's another tick box. And then will I enjoy the JV? Now, there's quite a lot to that question. And that's what, on in the meeting, I said, I'm interested in that. I, I hadn't thought of it before. I think he brought up the joint venture. I certainly didn't go into the meeting with this particular joint venture in mind, but we both went into the meeting with a view of, you know, wanting to create as much value as possible from it. And so I, th- I think my client brought it up and said, is there an opportunity there? And I said, you know what? There may well be. That's really interesting. Let, let's just think about it. So I've thought about it a bit and I actually would really enjoy this JV. And the reason being is this particular client wants to buy a set number of these properties. So he's got a plan to buy a set number of these properties in a traditional manner. Now, he's an experienced investor, so he'll be trying to buy at a discount and negotiating a discount and probably getting a very good price because some of these properties will be really unusual. They won't have many ready buyers. It's a good time to be buying right now. So he definitely won't be paying market value, but he will be paying retail. And what I mean by that is starting at the asking price and knocking money off, whereas regular listeners to the podcast will know that's not how I'll I buy, I buy wholesale. So I start at 25% off and either reduce that price further, depending on the condition of the property, etc., or add money to it, but over time. So typically I'm only buying no money down or using other people's money or no money left in, depending on the, the, the nature of the deal. And so I love leverage, as regular listeners will know. So I've looked at it and thought, how, where's the leverage here? If I put my time into this, he's already willing to put a lot of money into each deal. Is there a win-win for us? Is he going to get enough value that I'm going to feel amazing out of the JV? And you might think that's a weird criteria for me to have. It makes sense for him to have the criteria of, am I going to get enough out of this? But for me, I'm also, it's a really high value of mine that my JV partners get value from my JVs. And so what I have done is sat down and thought, right, how many of these deals does he want to buy over the next five years, let's say? And and I know that number because I've asked him. So I know he wants to buy X number of these specific types of properties, service accommodation properties. Given the way that he buys, I know roughly how much money that will cost. We're talking, you know, solid seven-figure amounts here in cash that he's going to be putting in to buy this number of, of properties. And so based on that, I've also spoken to him about the team that he has available. And I know we've got a decent sized team that I can train up to run sophisticated strategies on these properties. So we're talking about 
sophisticated planning, sophisticated finding, and sophisticated buying, because he's already nailed the monetization. He knows how to do the, the service accommodation on these specific types of properties. And so what I've done is I've sat there and I thought, right, if I'm involved in this JV, if I put half a day a week, a day a week into training his team, how can I do that in a leveraged way? Well, actually, Recently, I've started training other successful entrepreneurs and business people's teams to build them property portfolios. And that's something that Gordon and I are looking to do on a regular basis as part of our JV, because there are only so many people that want to build themselves a portfolio and are willing to put the time in in order to learn how to do it in a sophisticated manner. But one of my clients recently is actually employed someone whom I'm training on their behalf, they're paying me to train them in order to build him a sophisticated portfolio. And so if I'm doing that for other people, I could do that as part of my JV and have this team in this JV be trained by me as well. And that gives me more people in the room, that gives me more leverage to do just that. So it fits in from that perspective. Also in training maybe three, four, five people on this JV to be out there sourcing sophisticated deals for us. That's that's really good value for my JV partner, but it's also really good value for me because I put in eight hours training, let's say, and then five of them go and empl em employ that training, go and start using it and, and taking advantage of it. Also, I've looked at what I think I can source these properties at. And I think I can source them in a manner that will cost my potential JV partner less than a third of what he's currently planning to put into these properties. And so I'm going to do my numbers based on a third. I reckon it might be as little as a quarter, but let's assume it's a third. And the JV would be he puts the money in. I train the team, find the properties, buy the properties using my strategies. And of course, he then gets the financial benefit of putting a third of the money in that he would be putting in otherwise. And of course it could be less, but I'm, I'm trying to go at volume as well. If you only go for strictly no money down deals, then obviously there aren't as many of those around. Whereas if you could say that you're willing to leave some cash in the deal and leave your purchase costs in the deal, then there's way more of those deals. And if you can monetize them really highly, then that's obviously well worth it. So if he only puts in a third of the cash into each deal, then the brilliant part about that is he can do three times as many deals. And it's important that he does at least twice as many deals because I'm only going to do this on a 50-50 basis, which means if all we do is double the number of deals he would have done. So if I do deals where he puts in half the cash, it's pointless because I'm not bringing enough to the party. He doesn't want half of twice as many properties. He wants three or four times as many properties and half of those. So if we get four times as many properties and he gets half of them, then he's got twice as many properties, twice as much equity, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really important that I can bring enough value to the table. And I believe I can. The other thing is having half of a large portfolio is better than having 100% of a small portfolio because it's more diverse and it's more spread out and it's more stable. So that's a bonus for both of us. And so having looked at it from my perspective, I think it's a good deal. I'm going to put my time into this. I'm not going to put money in. I'm going to 
probably learn about this sophisticated service accommodation strategy that he uses very successfully. And what's he get? Well, he gets a buying machine that he doesn't have to be involved with. We probably could meet once a month on progress. I can lead and line manage his entire team from a purchasing perspective and a refurbishment perspective a marketing perspective for finding these deals, a negotiation and sales perspective. So there's quite a lot of training and support and leadership that I'll be putting into this JV for free. Obviously, it's not for free because we're then doing the the property together, but that's a lot of leverage for him as well. And I think that will be really attractive for him. He then, of course, will be learning how to source properties, no money down, using other people's money, no money left in, negotiating much larger discounts than he's used to negotiating. And so he's learning all those skills. So there's learning for both of us. We're working together, which is something we both want to do because we like each other and we think there's a good fit. But also we are building more net worth than we would otherwise, more cash flow than we would otherwise, because I wouldn't be going into this arena these types of properties if it wasn't for his knowledge and experience and I wouldn't be investing the money he's willing to invest but I'm getting the use of his money in these properties he's getting these properties for a lot less cash so he's getting a lot more of them which means over the next couple of years it's a really good amount of leverage for him so he can buy a lot more than he otherwise would have bought so hopefully that gives you an overview of how I'm approaching this JV from the four pillars of sophisticated investing from that perspective. So planning will be the first thing. So if he comes back to me and says, you know what, Frank, I've thought about it and it just doesn't feel right, then I'll say no problem at all. That's cool. You know, glad we considered it. I think it'd be a really good JV, but it requires both of us to want to do it. Neither of us need to do it. You know, we're not desperate to do it. We're just keen to build our net worth, build our cash flow, diversify our portfolios, de-risk our portfolios, mitigate those risks. So no problem at all. But if when we sit down next or talk next, he says, you know what, Frank, I've thought about it. I'm quite excited about this. Let's do it. Well, the first thing we'll do is sit down and plan it. And you might think, yeah, but you've already got a plan. I do. I know how many properties I want to buy in the next year. I know how many properties I want to buy in the next two years. I know how much equity they will generate for me. I know how much cash flow because I do everything to a plan. I have a purchase at the moment that looks like it might fall through. And at the moment, the properties that we'll be buying in that purchase, I've already earmarked for my 12-month goal. So I'm, I'm expecting to buy these properties because the vendors accepted our offer and because we've commenced legals. But now it looks like something might happen and we might lose the deal. The the vendor might not sell them to us. As soon as that happened, and that happened two days ago, I've already looked at my plan and thought, right, so if that does fall through, what activity do I need to do in order to not miss my goals? And that is very much the same approach as the aircraft flying from London Heathrow to New York JFK Airport. It takes off from Heathrow and it knows where it wants to land at JFK but it doesn't have to be on track the whole way and in fact if you think about your life it's never on track the whole way if you think about by the time this goes out it might have uh, might have finished but you know a historic win of the Tour de France with I think the biggest margin for decades 
that hasn't happened by accident, but neither has it happened entirely to plan. Absolutely every gold medal that's ever been won at the Olympics and every Tour de France winner has had a plan, but I doubt very much that the race, the preparation, the years of training. I saw a program the other day, a film rather, and I was watching it with my sons. I'm going to struggle to remember the name of the film. You might recognize it from the description, but in it, two guys meet up like 15 years after graduation. One of them was really, really popular at school and really um, like won an award for guy most likely to be president and you know most likely to be a professional athlete and he he was just you know the bee's knees at, at high school and this other kid was really fat and not popular at all and a real geek you see them a bit in high school and then you see them uh 15 years later the geek is Dwayne Johnson the rock he's obviously like worked out loads and he's like really buff and ends up working for the CIA and stuff. And the guy that was voted most likely to be successful at and be president and all that at high school, he's like got a really boring accounting job and doesn't go to the gym and he's just really, really mediocre. And he turns to, to Dwayne Johnson's character and he says, oh man, you're in such good shape, you know. I wish I had a body like that. Was it hard? And Dwayne Johnson says, no, no, it wasn't hard. I just had to train six days a week for for two decades and eat nothing but chicken and vegetables like he he says it off the cuff but actually that is what it requires to be in that good a shape you know it takes decades not not a few months not a few years but decades to get into into that shape those olympic athletes and those guys that landed on the moon and anyone who's ever achieved anything of huge significance there's no way that the plan goes entirely to plan it's always going to be checking that flight path from london to new york oh we're a couple of degrees off so we need to now course correct and come back onto the path. And oh, we've overcorrected. Or oh, that was a gust of wind. Now we need to come back onto the path. And the stat is, whether it's an urban myth or not, I don't know. But the stat is that a plane flying long haul is only actually on its flight path 3% of the time. But that's fine because it keep, every time it goes off track, it comes back onto track. And that's what the autopilot and the pilots do. And so long as it lands on the, the right runway... So long as it arrives at its destination, then it's all fine and dandy. The concept of sitting down and writing a plan with this JV partner is really important because he'll have his own personal plan and I have my own personal plan. And we now need to look, assuming we decide to do a JV, at how that fits in. So how much time, if he said, well, I'll do this with you, Frank, but I'll only do it with you if you put three days a week into the JV, I'd have to say no because I've got too many other business interests and this JV won't make me enough money to warrant three days of my week. Now, there might be a way that I could give his team three days a week of interaction with me, but it'd have to fit into stuff I'm already doing. And dedicated time working on this business, it it cannot be more than eight hours a week. And that was part of my decision-making process was, do I have enough capacity to put into this JV? Now, I think... I know I can put four to eight hours in a week. And of course, some weeks it'd be more and some weeks it'd be less. One of the things that this guy's probably going to do is he'll be leveraging me. So he might put a lot more, a lot less rather time in than me. He might end up putting in two hours, maybe four hours a month. Well, that's a big difference. 
but then he's bringing the money to the table. And so that that would be a fair exchange of of uh, resources in in my book. So it's really important when you sit down and start your property investing that you have a plan. But then as things change along the way, it's really important to amend your plan. If I signed up a deal next week to buy a hundred properties over the next two years, I'd need to amend my plan for that because A, it's going to take a shed load of time, but also that's going to hit a lot of my goals. So I needed, I would need to amend my goals for that. So planning is really, really important. How many properties would we be buying in the JV? How much time would each of us be putting into it? How much money to make sure he's properly resourced? How are we going to leverage that money? So who, whom will we be borrowing from? And then who, how will we resource the monetization of those properties, the refurbishment of them, et cetera. So that will all need to be planned out. And for a two-year JV, where I reckon we'll be buying anything between 20 and 40 properties between us, probably quite expensive properties, I imagine, that will take a lot of planning. We might spend between four and 12 solid hours of planning in order to... Um, get the plan right, make sure we're on the same page, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the the planning element, which is really, really crucial. During that planning, we might realize it's not a good win-win. We might realize that actually this is a mistake because either we can't do enough deals to make it worth it, worth our while, or I might realize that actually because of how specific these properties are, we can't do the marketing at the level that we would need to do in order to find the deals. And so it's too tight a niche and won't work. Or I might sit down with his team and realize that they're not capable of doing sophisticated purchasing, sophisticated negotiation and sales. And obviously within the JV, it can't fall on me to negotiate all the properties personally. I could negotiate big purchases or multiple properties from one vendor. But if I'm going to negotiate 20 to 40 deals over a two-year period, that's going to be too much of my time because it's not just the negotiation. It's the ongoing then chain chasing and support. And so it's working through all of that. Then, of course, once you've got a plan, you can start your finding stage, which is how are you going to market for these properties in order to get exactly what you want in the right parts of the country, in order to run your chosen monetization strategy. And before deciding whether this JV was a win-win, that's what I did. I sat down with a blank sheet of paper and I thought to myself, right, if I want to find, let's say 30 of these deals, between 20 and 40, but let's say 30 for simplicity, 30 of these deals over the next 24 months, that means I need to find two deals every three months. And then I thought to myself, so how many leads would I need to find? And this is where you can bring it all backwards. And this is all done in the planning stage. And you have to know what your conversion rates are likely to be. You won't know precisely. I don't know what my conversion rates in different parts of the country will be for these specific types of properties because I've never done it before. I've never negotiated these size of properties in these parts of the country at this stage of the market, i.e., middle of 2023 before. So it's it's going to be an estimate given what I know. What do I estimate my conversion rates to be? What do I estimate my numbers to be? And, that, and that's all we're trying to do here to establish, is it likely to succeed? Because, and the reason I say 20 to 40 properties is if we aim for 30 with a high degree of certainty, 
So what's the chance of hitting exactly 30 properties? Probably 10%. But what's the chances of hitting between 20 and 40 properties? Well, if we can get that number up at 80%, maybe 90%, well, that's really good because we're happy that we're going to be in the right ballpark. And we'd be really disappointed if we only got 15, but we'd be delighted if we got 50. And to be fair, I think 15 would be impossible because we would course correct as we went along. And we'd know that, you know, after just three months, if we'd only bought one, then we were below our target. We should have been at two. And after six months, if we were still on one, now we'd be looking at, wow, if we carry on like this, we're only going to get four. So... That's not, and then we'd be changing stuff very rapidly. And that's exactly the same as the aircraft flying to New York. You know, after a few minutes, if you're off course, we would know after a month or two, so we would course correct. And in fact, it'd be quicker than that because I know my numbers. I'd know after a week or two, we don't have to wait to see how many we complete on. I'd know after the number of leads that were coming in. So what I did in my preparation for whether or not this was a good JV is I sat down and I thought, right, so if we buy 30 in the next two years, how am I going to reach all the owners of these properties to see who wants to sell? Now, it's a good time for them to sell. So a high proportion are going to be interested in selling. And I had to look at, it's very niche, as I've said. So I looked at how can we find them? And I came up with two or three different ways of finding these properties and then finding the owners that own them. And so what I thought to myself is, yes. I will be able to find these properties, which will mean that I can then write to them, phone them, reach out to them and create a campaign of touching these people multiple times and offering them solutions to their property problems in this particular niche. And so it was really important to have done that planning, to have worked out, right, so how much will it cost to reach out to all these people? And it will be quite costly because it's gonna take a lot of time. We're probably gonna have to download a lot of land registry titles to work out because they're already monetized. They're not gonna be owner occupiers a lot of them are going to already be monetized for service accommodation but they won't be using the strategies we're going to be using so they might be failing service accommodation is really competitive now every man his dog's doing it so it's almost a race to the bottom but our strategy will raise that monetization really high but in the first instance we have to find the people and we have to obviously pay to find them. So we have to go through databases, find the properties, then we have to go onto land registry, find the owners, and then we have to reach out to the owners. Yeah, really, really had to work out my numbers to make sure that I wasn't wasting everyone's time. Because if this JV partner says, yeah, I wanna do it, Frank, and then for six months, he pays for a load of marketing, we don't get enough leads, we don't convert the leads, that's just gonna be a real big waste of his money and both our times. So I went through my numbers and I thought, yeah, I'm confident, I'm with a high degree of confidence. I reckon we can do 20 to 40 of these properties in a year. And then I thought about how can we monetize them? How can we do control now, pay later on them? Well, because service accommodation, if you get it right, is a really high monetization strategy. Control now, pay later could work really well, especially if these properties are under monetized at the moment, we could probably pay the vendor more than they're currently getting whilst buying the property from them. So that could work really well. They're already going to be owned or financed, so that would be good. They're already on finance that allows other people to stay in them. 
allows management of those properties. So doing options on them and exchange of contracts with delayed completions, vendor finance on a lot of them. When I sat down and mapped it all out, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm confident. You could never be certain with 100% certainty, but I'm confident enough I can make this work given the resource I have, given the experience, given the knowledge I have. And that's part of what I'm bringing to the party. This guy's not not done any of this thinking because he's got his traditional plan for how he's going to buy the number of properties he wants to buy. But now when we next sit down and he says, so what's it going to look like? I can say, well, this is what I think we can achieve. This is how much money we can save you. This is how many more properties we can buy whilst you spend less money. And then from there, it really is a case of starting the buying. So we've planned it all out. We'll do the marketing that I've laid out. We'll get cracking with those marketing strategies where we're going direct to vendor. And it's critical that we get direct to vendor. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to save the money that this guy would otherwise be making. Otherwise, we're just buying retail. And some of my clients do buy retail. There's no no problem whatsoever with buying retail. I've been speaking to some clients recently about getting between a 50 and a 100. So five zero and 100 percent return on your money cash on cash return on your money per annum or at least in the first year from buying retail and you think that's crazy there is no way you know you can get that um, if you buy a hundred grand house and you put 25 grand into it that's 25 grand and that might only make you a thousand pound a month that's a 10 percent return but here's the thing if you actually buy below market value you can almost, and it depends how much below market value you want to buy it. But if you even get a modest reduction in the purchase price as a percentage ROI, so the equity is a return on the cash invested, you can very easily get 60, 70, 80, 90% ROI in the first year. Well, that's brilliant because although you can't touch that equity immediately, Certainly in year two and three, you'll be able to refinance out, assuming the market picks up and you see a bit of very modest capital growth, which, you know, over the last hundred odd years, we've definitely seen in the, the UK property market. In fact, I had a look at the uh, Office for National Statistics property data on the UK recently. And I looked at, I think we started measuring or they started measuring house prices in the late 60s. So I did it from 73 to 83, and then from 83 to 93, 93 to 2003, 2003 to 2013, and then 2013 to 2023. So that's five decades. And what I did is I took the average house price in each of those years. So I think the latest data we've got is about March or April 2023. So I just went back a decade each time and tracked house prices. And it's unbelievable. Every single decade, even with the credit crunch, et cetera, every single decade saw between, I think the worst was about 130% increase. So that means you got a hundred grand house, it's then worth 230 grand. So it's more than double. And in the best decades, it went up by over 200%. So that means a hundred grand house becomes 300 grand. And that's every single decade, even as those house prices gone up and up and up. So obviously you could buy them for seven grand. The average house price in the late sixties was about 7,000 pounds. So getting to 14,000 pounds is not hard, but it is relatively, it's still a hundred percent increase. And then getting to 
£28,000 average price is, is not that hard. But, but when you look at the fact that we're at £230,000 now, roughly speaking, well, that means that we were at £115,000 average price 10 years ago. And, and when you look, yes, we were. It's unbelievable. And, and people are saying, oh, you know, house prices are dropping. Yes, they are. But look at the look at the graph. House prices have gone up and gone down consistently for the last 50 years. But overall, we live on an island. We experience capital growth. There is overpopulation. There is more people than there are houses. We have an under, a chronic undersupply of properties. It always makes me laugh that they still roll out. They trot out this goal of 300 houses or 300 properties a year that they want to build. But they were saying that when I first became aware of it in 2007. And in 2007, we built something like 100,000 houses. So that means we're 200,000 short, right? So you'd expect the goal for the next year to be 500,000 because we need 300 for that year and 200 we didn't build the year before. But no, they keep the goal at 300. If they built 150, and I don't think they have built 150,000, <laughs> but if they did, they're like, wow, 50% more than last year. But actually, they're still below a third of what they needed to build to stay on track. And that's just happened year after year, decade after decade. And what that means is we have a massive pressure on house prices, upward house prices. Getting properties under your belt and getting money into property is definitely the priority. Because if you wait around waiting for the absolute best no money down deal where you get cash back when you buy it, yada, 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 which is all perfectly possible if you know what you're doing and you you structure the deal in the right way. The difficulty in finding those is really high and the likelihood of finding those on a regular consistent basis without a large team and without a large marketing budget is really, really, it's a really high chance of failure. And so what you need to do is you need to work out how much resource you've got in terms of time, money, knowledge, experience, and then work out what goals are realistic based on those resources, based on those targets and goals. And it's then that you can come up with a win-win solution. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this particular JV partner. It might sound like I've spent a lot of time on it. I have probably spent, well, we've spent um, a few hours meeting together and then I've probably spent two or three hours thinking about it and, and jotting stuff down in the last two weeks. So yeah, I'm probably a few hours into this now, five to 10 hours into this potential JV, but it's quite a big JV. And if it, if it comes off, it'll be very lucrative for me well, for both of us. And so I'm happy to put that time in. But equally, I've not over-serviced the deal. I've not sat down and spent four hours putting it all into a spreadsheet. Because the guy might say no. But I've got enough information, enough planning done now that if we have that next meeting and he says, well, how do you think it might work? I can run through the numbers and show him how we can do it. Guys, I hope that's been valuable for you. I hope it's given you an insight into how I apply those four pillars of a sophisticated property investment business to all of my decisions, to my JV partnerships, to my own investing, to when things go great for me and I overachieve, to, think, to when things don't go well for me and I'm in danger of missing my goals. And in fact, when I do miss some of them, how I approach it. So hopefully that's challenged you. Hopefully it's inspired you. 
And as always, if I can help in any any way at all, a bit like one of our listeners recently, he just reached out, popped an email. You can, any any of you guys can email me. My email address is f.fleg at ethicalpropertypartners.com. Um, he reached out, dropped me an email. We met up for lunch. And off the back of that, he came to a two-day event of mine and is now on my highest level program being supported to do deals and in fact has done two deals i think we met for lunch maybe a month ago he came on board two weeks ago i want to say and in that time he's already got a deal at 29 percent below market value in the southeast so people that say oh you can't do bmv in the southeast hmm, not so sure about that i think maybe you can that was a property through an estate agent as well. So people that go, oh, I don't want to deliver leaflets. I don't want to have my photo in the in the paper. Well, you don't have to. You just need to know how to draw up a plan and how to go and find these properties. He has exchange contracts on his second deal already as well, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And just shows the value. Or what, what he said was he's been th- trying to find the right mentor, the right person to support him for years and has been underachieving in that time, but has now decided that I'm the right person to support him. He reached out, we had lunch, and from that, he's got a plan, he's got the confidence, he's got the certainty with which to take action. And I'm delighted. So if you would like to do the same, reach out, drop me an email. We would love to hear from you. Until next time. Happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.